Welcome to Box TV Talk, the podcast where we take a loving, longing look at TV and tell you this week. Channel 10 has announced the fresh meat to be thrown to the wolves in this third season of The Bachelor Australia. <laughs> Sam Wood, who currently runs a children's health and fitness company with 35 locations across the country, is lining up to have a bevy of attractive women throw themselves at him for their 15 minutes of fame. Oh, and by the way, he also has the most rectangular head ever. <laughs> he has a box with a beard for a head. Malk's TV Talk. I am your host, Steve Malk, and joining me this week, a man who brought to life the character of Detective Kent Stryker, not once, but twice. A man who specialises in accents. A man who travelled the world to record interviews for his upcoming film, Earbuds, the podcasting documentary. A man who is jointly responsible for the LA Podcast Festival, though takes zero responsibility for inviting Eddie Ift. He is one half of your comedy film nerds. It's Australian TV royalty, Graham L. Wood. <laughs> Uh, God, I wish I was Australian TV royalty. I could get a lot more work down there. <laughs> no, look, I wouldn't guarantee on it. We'd probably send you to South Africa to be an I'm a celebrity, get me out of here or something. <laughs> Graham, welcome. It's good to have you on uh, Mulch TV Talk, the podcast. Thanks for having me, my friend. It's, uh, it's good to talk to you. I think the last time we saw each other was at the uh, LA Podfest in September. Yes, yeah, so much fun, people. I cannot recommend it highly enough. I know already of at least uh, one other Australian that is coming to this year's podcast festival because she's already booked her ticket. Oh. This is awesome news. Nice. We have one Aussie confirmed. This is exciting. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. That's all we needed. One is enough. <laughs> well, Graham, it, it's wonderful. Now, as I mentioned in the intro, you, uh, a man who's been around you, obviously a, a fixture in the comedy scene, uh, around America, but also working hard behind the scenes. You've worked on a number of films and documentaries and comedy shows and those sorts of things. But the big one that you and your partner in crime, uh, Chris Mancini, are working on uh, is Earbuds. This is very exciting. It was, you know, it's, it was actually literally just uh, looking at footage and, and doing some writing down, uh, you know, time code to give to the editor right before mm. we started speaking. Um it's been an amazing experience. You know, we did the Kickstarter in February of last year um, to raise $135,000 and we did 140, which was great. And it came down to the wire, which was very exciting. <laughs> um, and then, you know, uh, it was about a year ago, we were starting to ramp up for shooting and we shot, um, you know, April and May and, and into June last year. And we went to, um, Sydney and, uh, and then to the Outback, we went to Newman, uh, Australia, <laughs> which everyone in Sydney was like, wait, you're going where, <laughs> what are you, what are you doing? Um, to interview an Australian, uh, a minor who was a big podcast fan. And we also got a lot of great fan interviews in Sydney itself. And then we went up to Japan to interview, um, fans and i was at literally just watching the the fan foot footage of, of these interviews we got in japan talking about the day of the japanese earthquake four years ago and how one of our fans um sanai uh who lives in japan and was then on twitter and, and all these fans were reaching out to her on twitter and sort of showing the the global community that is podcasting um and so 
earbuds is just, it's been such an amazing experience and the editing is going great. And so, you know, we're hopefully going to premiere it at this year's uh, Los Angeles podcast festival, which is September 18th through the 20th. Wow. That is awesome. Last year, as a part of the comedy film nerds show at the podcast festival, you and Chris premiered a bit of a, I guess, a secret cut promo, didn't you? Yeah. We showed a trailer that no one had seen before. Um, and I got to tell you, that was one of the cooler experiences because we were showing the trailer during the Comedy Film Nerd Show at LA PodFest. It was a packed house. Um, many of the people we interviewed, Sanai was there, Aaron was there, uh, Vanessa, all these fans, Paige, who were involved in the film, who helped. And the, probably everybody in that room gave money to Kickstarter. Mm. So, and we were still shooting footage at that moment, (laughs) you know, which was like, and Chris said it, he goes, I think this is the only time we're showing the trailer of a movie that we're still making as we're showing it. So um, (laughs) that was a really, really cool experience. That was one of my, that was probably the highlights of of PodFest for me last year. And just. I, I don't know. One of the highlights of my professional career was that moment. And I think when we premiere it this September, that's going to, I think it's really going to be magical. What's everybody seeing that. So. Oh, no question, man. Just to blow some smoke up your ass. It really looked amazing. I cannot wait to see this. It's going to be stunning. I've thrown my money on the floor and I want to get my DVD. It's already ordered. <laughs> um, it's, it's just going to be, Something that really excites me, because not only, obviously, we're here potting and casting, but also, you're right, the community that, that is around that, the people that are involved. Uh, I've been to a lot of different festivals and trade shows and all sorts of things, conferences, where everybody is inevitably there for the one thing, right? and that kind of makes sense. But when it comes to something like LA PodFest, there are so many different people from so many different walks of life where the only thing they have in common is podcasting, and it's amazing. You know, every year... The- at PodFest, people come up to me and, and Chris Mancini and Dave Anthony and Andy Wood. And, and last year, this uh, couple came up to me on day one and they said, you know, this is our 20th wedding anniversary. And they flew all the way out from somewhere on the East Coast of the, of the States, like, I don't wow. know, Pittsburgh or something like that. And, and, and by the second day, this guy said to me, he goes, you know, my whole life, I've sort of always felt kind of like a outsider. and this weekend is the first time I felt like I'm completely at home. And, you know, that's just an amazing thing. You just, you know, Chris and I, and like any, a lot of podcasters, especially here in LA, we're just all comics. And a lot of us just sort of started some sort of podcast out of frustration, like, ah, whatever, like, you know, can't get, it's hard getting show business jobs in Hollywood. So let's just, you know, talk into our laptops and see what the hell happens. (laughs) And then to be, literally flying around the room, making a moving uh, world, making a movie about it. And then having people come up to you at the festival and saying, this is so amazing. I mean, another guy came up to me and we interviewed him for earbuds at the festival last year saying he was going through a divorce and a really brutal custody battle and was battling some depression and was thinking about, you know, committing suicide and, was driving from New Mexico to Texas, which is probably a, you know, 10 hour drive or something. And he just loaded up a bunch of podcasts and he was literally like, I'm going to drive to Texas and not come home. 
and was listening to all these comedy podcasts and started laughing throughout the trip and realized by the end of it, you know, he had a better perspective on his life and his, and his problems while they were, they were, they were serious. He was mm-hmm. like, I, I I can get through this and I'm going to stay alive for my kids and all this stuff. And he basically, and he told me, you know, podcasting helped save my life. And I, I you hear something like that and you don't even, it's, it's hard to comprehend that, you know, comedy film nerds, it's fun. We sit in Chris's garage every week and we talk movies and we joke around and make stupid jokes and dumb voices. And you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> you don't, you know, and sometimes we have serious talks about movies or maybe if a movie covers a certain political or social issue and, you know, that's cool and that's important, but you don't realize, or at least you didn't when you started that it would have this kind of a positive impact on people. And so when you hear that stuff, it's just amazing. And that's kind of what the, the meat of the documentary of earbuds is, is to kind of explore that. Cause I want people that don't know what podcasting is, which is from probably, you know, two thirds of the population <laughs> easily, yes. easily, if not 70 or 80% of the population is like, oh, what's a pod, huh? And mm. so I want them to go to watch this film and, and go, well, this looks awesome. There's podcasts about everything. They're funny. Yeah. They're entertaining. They're serious. They're heartfelt. They're, they're silly. And there's a festival and they all get together and watch these shows and laugh and have a blast all weekend. Like that's all I want. And I, and mm. I, and I think we're going to, we're going to be able to do that. Well, that's awesome. Look, we can we could bang on about podcasts all day, and we certainly will later in this <laughs> podcast. Uh, but first, I think what we need to do is get on with this. M O L K Box TV Talk, the podcast. But first, the news: the BBC committed financial sepaku after suspending Top Gear host Jeremy Clarkson due to an after-hours incident involving a producer and some sandwiches. Clarkson wanted a hot meal after a long day of filming and the producer had forgotten to arrange to keep the kitchen open at the hotel for the cast and crew. The franchise, worth $350 million to the British broadcaster, has also been suspended with the final episodes of this season destined for a dusty shelf in the BBC archives right next to Clarkson. So wait, I've seen that show a couple of times. What happened? The host punched a producer because he didn't get his sandwich? Look, that's pretty much the cut and thrust of it. It, it, As it turns out, a long day of filming... And, uh, you know, people wanted to go home and have a hot meal. It was late in the evening. And the producer, one of the producers, had arranged for the kitchen to make a plate of sandwiches. But the producer had forgotten to ask the talent what they wanted. And Clarkson wanted a steak. Uh, he, it's reported two different ways. One is that he punched the guy. And the other angle is that, you know, there was a little bit of, you know, chest beating. And he came up close and yelled at him and those sorts of things. Jeremy Clarkson has a bit of a history of being... Some say a bully, some say a guy that just does and says inappropriate things. I think that's part of why he's such a a legend in that Top Gear world, though. Wait, so he's the host? Is that correct? He's the kind of tall host guy? Yeah, the the curly-haired one that seems to be all a bit, you know, I'm happy about everything except everything. (laughs) So, (laughs) so now the show they're 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 putting the show on hiatus. Yeah, they've just they've got a couple more episodes in the can. They've just said that that's not happening, and uh, yeah, the, as far as what the outcome is, the future of the show for the BBC is unknown. But given that it's worth so much money to them, uh, both that show and the franchise globally, they'd be crazy not to bring it back, or even crazier to bring it back and to cut him out of it. He's been 
a part of Top Gear for 30-something years. Wow. I mean... (laughs) It's hard to process, I know. (laughs) This is... um, I wonder uh, how much of this is like this was sort of the last straw kind of thing. Like he's been mm-hmm. punching people and yelling at him because they got him the wrong sandwich for years. And this guy finally went, you know what? And the BBC was like, this asshole's called me at three in the morning drunk because his coleslaw wasn't the right temperature. So you know what? I'm tired of this shit. Take it somewhere else. We've all made plenty of money. We'll get another show. <laughs> well, and that's now the conversation is if they do decide to just shelve Top Gear altogether, apart from that long history, you know, it's likely that Clarkson will probably want to pop up somewhere else and will he then bring the other two hosts? And while it may not be called Top Gear, it certainly would be a show that, again, the hordes would flock to, right? They've become cult icons. That's crazy. I can't, yeah, I'd love to know. I'd love to know what really is going on. Yes. Oh, there's so much more to come out of this. It's not funny. I mean, is he up for a contract negotiation? Is that what this is too? (laughs) No word on that. I would have thought that he was well locked in. I think there was a, a negotiation for the three hosts last year, but nothing would surprise me, right? If there's dollars in the offing and, you know, how can we try and make it work to our advantage from somebody's angle? I mean, that's what it's all about, right? TV's all smoke and mirrors and bullshit and baffle. Yeah, of course. This is just, this just re- I mean, shows do this all the time. Um, you know, last comic standing uh, in November, NBC announced, oh, we're not doing it this year. And it was like, no way. That's bullshit. Last summer, <laughs> they it was its highest rated show of the summer. It's so cheap to produce. Yeah. That was I that I was like, I don't know what's going on, but I bet you it was one of the judges wanted too much money or something, so they went, nah. Yeah. You know, and we'll, we'll I mean, I this happens all the time in Hollywood. You know, somebody who's the lead in a popular TV show and they'll just announce they're doing a casting to replace that person because Mm. it's just a tactic to get the agents to go, oh, no, 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 we'll deal, we'll (laughs) deal, we'll deal. Yeah, yeah. we we will do what you want them to wear. What? Sure, no worries. Yeah, so I'm. this this is uh, interesting. I'm very curious to see how this shakes out. Yeah, it's going to be big. Some more news. HBO announced that season five of its epic drama series, Game of Thrones, will be simulcast globally, meaning nerdy perverts will be easier than ever to identify. (laughs) The phenomenon has kept most plot points for the new season a tightly guarded secret. However, leaks that Tyrion Lannister returns to fight his father with Gandalf, Dumbledore and Yoda in tow perhaps have been accurately decoded by the boffins on the Game of Thrones subreddit. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know anything about that show, so. <laughs> it's massive. This is huge for HBO that they're doing that. And, of course, that HBO are introducing this HBO Now thing. So the only way you could have got HBO before was via cable. Uh, but coming shortly, I think, for the first three months, only available on Apple TV, you can sign up and get all of the HBO via the internet. Yeah, this is now this just totally makes sense. I'm not a Game of Thrones person, but when HBO announced that several months ago, I was like, well, this changes everything. Mm. And I think the price point right now is a little high, but um, it's something like 14 or 15 bucks a month in the States. But I, I think this is smart to then tie this new business model into their biggest franchise. Yeah. And you're going to just see, like, I don't know what cable companies are going to do. But 
everyone is going to just start selling this stuff a la carte. I mean, a lot of the sports leagues in the States are already doing this. Like you can just get major league baseball or the NHL or whatever. If you just pay a monthly service, you can watch every game on your phone or laptop or whatever. So I, I think it's all anybody wants anyway. Like they forced me to have cable with this stupid bundle crap. Oh yeah. And I'm just stuck. And it's like, all I do is flip through channels of all these dumb shows. I will never watch. (laughs) You never want to move to Australia then ever. (laughs) It is. It's seriously from a country that the day this comes out next Tuesday, that's when we get Netflix. That's how far behind we are. (laughs) Well, people got to be using VPNs or something to get it from the States, right? Some witchcraft, black magic combination. I don't know how they're doing it, but people have been getting it. (laughs) We have also been getting some of the content from Netflix through our only cable provider Uh in Australia, which is a Rupert Murdoch derivative uh, business. Oh, that's good. He's a good good mate, this guy. Uh, guy. He's so good that he renounced his Australian citizenship to become an American, so he's your problem, bastard. Oh, why the – of course, and of course we'll let him in. Oh, yeah, he's worth a gajillion dollars, right? Well, we let we let in the Shah of Iran who tortured people. So what, what, yeah. what's, you know, get Rupert on the on the bill. That'll be he's nice. He's technically torturing people. <laughs> he has been. He has definitely tortured many people. Have you read any of News Limited's content? <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> it's crazy. So it's, it's, a, it's a brave new world, but you're right. There's a lot to happen, I think. This will be an interesting thing for Australia too because there will be a bunch of Australians who will go, HBO available on the internet, I would like to use that service. So it'll be interesting to see how many people, because there's a big business in Australia where people buy American iTunes cards so they can have an American iTunes account to get American content on their Apple devices. Oh, because iTunes Australia doesn't have it? We're slow and silly. (laughs) Um, Well, so right now in Australia, if you want to get HBO, you have to subscribe to an Australian cable company. Yes, uh-huh. to get and we don't get all of HBO, just bits. What? Yeah, yeah. So we get Game of Thrones, we get Girls, we get uh, John Oliver's uh, This Week Tonight, uh, Last Week Tonight. Sorry, uh, we get some of those, but not all of the HBO things. So it will be an interesting thing because uh, to counter, knowing that this whole video on demand thing was coming down the pipe last year, Foxtel is the name of the company um, reduced their their costs pretty much halved it so that it became more competitive and they've now also started offering uh, a subscription video on demand service like Netflix, which they're channeling their uh, deals with the HBO and all of them and Showtime into that so that you can sign up for 10 bucks a month and, and access it that way. So it's crazy town over here, man. We've gone from having no subscription video services to as of the day this podcast comes out, three different ones. And where is, where is Foxtel getting all of their content from? There's an amount that's made in Australia, almost wholly and solely, though, they're buying just en masse content from the US. So all of that Dance Moms nightmare rubbish, that all comes over. Uh, we've got every Real Housewives of everything, plus we make a Real Housewives of Melbourne. So we make our own. <laughs> we're into season two of that. What is Real Housewives of Melbourne like? It is everything that is bad about all of the other Real Housewives oh. things. Plus, um, they just fight a lot more. Right. They just find – so there's are more just like drunken brawls kind of a – Ganky rich women Ugh. who – it's not even I, – I, I'm appalled that I even know what goes on on the show. 
Um, I'm, I'm, I'm upset with myself. Uh, all of that, plus we get, you know, the best of HBO and Showtime and uh, even a bit of, uh, you know, your Amazon Prime stuff has leaked in over there. Uh, but now that there's these subscription video services, deals are being struck. So if you want to see Better Call Saul in Australia, the only place to watch that at the moment is on one of those subscription video services. If you want to watch um, Game of Thrones, it's Foxtel, but now Presto, their subscription video service will be that. An interesting one, the last two years of House of Cards have been on Foxtel, but when Netflix launched today, the, the previous two seasons plus the new season, all on Netflix Australia. Ah, so it's game on for that stuff. That's that's such a it's so interesting to see how this is going to shake out because, you know, the cable companies I don't know what they're going to do to survive, but the the networks everyone's like oh network TV is gone but then I don't know that that's going to be the case because like take an example like I was talking to someone who works at CBS and you know, they Mm -hmm. sell sold the entire catalog of NCIS to Netflix in the States Mm -hmm. for something like $50 million because Netflix just needs giant libraries of content like that. So when you've got these networks that have, you know, like CBS is a great example because they've got CSI, you Mm -hmm. know, in half a dozen cities or whatever, (laughs) you know, so they can sell, you know, a hundred, two hundred episodes to somebody like Netflix, and Netflix is obviously buying. So I don't know. It's going to be so interesting to see how this happens. And we were talking about this on the latest episode of Comedy Film Nerds because we mm-hmm. we we also did a spoiler up of Predestination, that Australian movie that came out. Yep. And we were saying how cool it is that here's a movie that got. I don't know if it was released in the States, not, I mean, you're talking about a handful of art theaters throughout the whole country at best. Um, it's a movie we never would have heard of unless an mm-hmm. Australian fan told us. And now we were both able to rent it. I rented mine through uh, Apple TV and Chris, I think, got his through Amazon Prime. And how interesting that is and how this is opening up a lot of revenue for an independent filmmaker who you know that's a movie that i'm sure had maybe a five million dollar budget at best i mean if it was there's no way it was more than 10 million mm-hmm. i agree well as and as, as a part of that netflix have stated very clearly that in coming to australia they want to have australian content so they've opened up a call for content for people to submit stuff um they are they've announced that when they buy content they're buying it for not just america they're buying it for every one of the countries that they're in so they're now buying global agreements on content. So it doesn't matter which Netflix you've got, they're buying stuff and you can be in Germany or America or UK, Canada or Australia, wherever, and you get to see that content. Um, apart from their original stuff, add to that, that in Australia, one of these other competitive SVOD services, it's called Stan, would you believe? Mm-hmm. <sighs> it's it's already announced two Australian uh, series that it's getting made to appear exclusively on that, that platform. One of which is a TV series following on from Wolf Creek two. I see. That's so fascinating. Like I I just found out in America that Vimeo is now starting original content. Like everyone has original content now. Mm. And is that, has that trend started in Australia? Like, is Foxtel producing its own original content or anything like that? Yeah, yeah. What well, the Real Housewives of Melbourne sadly is a Foxtel product. Ah, 
Got it. So not so not real content. Oh, well, we do do one. In fact, this would be worth chasing down uh, for any Americans that are listening, yourself included. I think it's on Netflix because they talk about it being better than Orange is the New Black. There's a, a, a show called Wentworth, which is set inside a women's prison. It's not a comedy. It is a very serious drama and it's, it's hardcore. I really, really encourage people to check that out. It's some quality Australian drama that's coming out, and that's a Foxtel product as well. Ah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's like funny. Every about five, ten years ago, everyone started to realize you got to come up with your own content. Mm. And you know, I mean, at this at the at the Golden Globes this past year, the American TV networks were practically shut out by a lot of the winners were winners of shows that were on Amazon and mm. on Netflix. Um, and that's really, you know, a year or so ago, I think it was a year or two years ago when house of cards won an Emmy. Mm. <laughs> that was like, that shook the world. I mean, that shook Hollywood basically in terms of what this means. So I'm just going to be real curious as to how, it's not going to be called TV and maybe anymore. They're just going to be called episodics. Something. Something. Because um, it's really interesting, but it, but the competitiveness of it is bringing out all of these great shows. Like Orange is the oh, New Black yeah. is amazing. And you're telling me there's a, there's a better, deeper, more intense Australian version of that? I'm in. Oh, it's, and it's so good. Totally check it out. It's amazing. Check out the website, mocktvtalk.com. Well, that's the news for today, Graham. Mm -hmm. I thought it would be an excellent opportunity. This is a bit of fun, a little segment we call Four Reels, where I've got five quick questions and I want to know how much you know about reality television. Are you ready? Sure. I don't, I don't know very much at all, but let's do this. <laughs> that's going to be even better. <laughs> Question one, what made global headlines this week about the New Zealand version of the X Factor? <laughs> <laughs> oh wow um the x fact new zealand x factor global headlines i'm sure mm. uh would you like a hand yeah a little bit <laughs> if i said two of the hosts were fired because they as a part of the show effectively tore strips off a contestant for allegedly copying one of the judges would that help? <laughs> uh, I'm going to need more of a hint. Uh, <laughs> it, it's been huge news. that, And, and the, the video is available, of course, on YouTube and everywhere. But the dressing down that this, it turns out their husband and wife judges gave this kid uh, on stage who'd just done a performance. We didn't even get to see it. But that, you know, they called his performance appalling and how could he, how dare he uh, steal this guy's identity? It was like, what the hell? Wow. This is a show, it's a show about people singing covers of songs, you idiots. And they yelled at some kid? Oh, they, they, they laid, well, he wasn't a kid like eight, he was 17 or something. But they laid it down. They were really harsh on him. And yeah, they got the ass. They're done. That's good. Way to go, dicks. Yeah, that's right. Fuck you guys. Yeah. Husband Who and wife Sorry. assholes. <laughs> who won australia's version of i'm a celebrity get me out of here um was was it uh was it eddie eft <laughs> it could have been in fact that's probably closer than than you realize because it wasn't an australian that won it was an englishman called <laughs> Ed, 
Andrew Freddie Flintoff, uh, who was participating, and yeah, he won. Congratulations to him. Question three. How many people died while filming Wipeout last year? Two. Sadly, none. Oh. What's Wipeout? Have you not seen it? It is the most bizarre thing. Think um, uh, this big oversized sort of obstacle course that involves lots of water and uh, obstacles, but the obstacles aren't sort of static. They, like, you have to climb along this wall, but out of the wall comes these punching arms, which will hit you and knock you into the mud pool. Oh, it's one of those, they took one of those Japanese game shows that they made, right? mm, It's like an American version of Takeshi's Castle. Right, okay, Or, or American Ninja was a show. Yeah, except that it's not serious in any way. It's really about um, filming what happens and then making fun of the contestants, <laughs> which sounds like pretty much any show. Of course. Question four, how many shows is Piers Morgan on in the US? Is it just the one? Oh, the answer is too many. <laughs> Question five, name three winners of any reality program ever, anywhere in the world? Uh, Rodman. Mm. He won Last Comic Standing last year. Oh, correct. Yes, he did. Um, John Heffron, who won Last Comic Standing, and Dat <laughs> Fan, who won Last Comic <laughs> Standing. <laughs> you know, I'll even let you get away with that. That's a reasonable <laughs> I was expecting you to just go, no, I got nothing. Yep, and that would be fair too. Yeah, the only show that I know is not even one I've ever really watched, but I just know is a comedian who won some of them. (laughs) (laughs) One of the greatest shames that we face in Australia is that because of our European connection, you know, the history, the fact that we're criminals to start with, (laughs) we have this wonderful love of lots of things British and lots of things European. And have you ever heard of the Eurovision Song Contest before? No. It is this bizarre singing competition where each country in the European Union send an act to perform under some fairly strict rules. You know, there can only be so many people on stage. The song can only go for so long, but it can be in English or your national tongue uh, about anything you want. And it is outrageous crazy. Like it's wind machines and smoke and over-the-top performances. And uh, the catch is the winning country the next year has to host it. So it's a, there's a real sting in that tale because it ends up costing them millions of dollars. Uh, but you look at all the tourism that we get with people coming to lower Uzbekistan or whatever. <laughs> this year, somehow, and I put it down because we paid them a lot of money, Australia is competing in Eurovision. And to top it off, we're not just sending any artist to sing, we're sending our very first Australian Idol winner to do it. Outstanding. Look, I cannot tell you how conflicted I am about that entire sentence. <laughs> it's crazy. The podcast about television. Malt TV Talk. The podcast. Well, that's enough. Congratulations, Graham. You've done a very good job on For Reels. I think now, though, it's time to settle back, take a comfy cushion. Let's talk about the early days on Couch Time. So, Graham, what are your earliest TV memories? Earliest TV memories? Um, th- I think I had an 8.30 bedtime when I was a child, and Thursday nights, Hawaii Five-0 was on from 8 to 9 p.m. Oh, wow. So I got to stay up an extra half hour, and my whole family would get together and watch uh, Hawaii Five-0. Oh, book and dinner. That's awesome. Yeah. 
And in that, you talk about your whole family, sort of we sat down and watched it. What was the place of TV in the household? Was there only one TV? Was there a couple of sets? No, there was, this is the 70s. There was one TV in our basement and it was black and white and it was probably 13 inches. Nice. Maybe 20, maybe 20 inches. Well, you were a rich family. Yeah, we were a very rich family. And the basement was where there was like a mattress and an old couch and an old bed. And that's where we... Tied up the dead people. Yeah, when we found, you know, somebody, a stowaway or a hitchhiker or something like that. That's... <laughs> oh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and the basement was also, anytime my brother and I were like wrestling or fighting, our parents would always just say, go down there, because there was really nothing of any value that we could break. Other than the TV, Graham. That's true. Wow, I can't believe you didn't break the TV. Do you remember, uh, what, like, what kind of cartoons as a kid do you watch? What did you get into? Love Scooby-Doo. Um mm-hmm. That was the main one. Uh, loved the Jetsons. And uh, some of the Hanna-Barbera ones we liked, but it was really, uh, yeah, Scooby-Doo was the one I really, uh, Johnny Quest. They would play reruns of Johnny Quest. What um, is Johnny Quest? Oh, man, you never saw Johnny Quest? No, we got a lot of stuff from America, usually about 10 years after you had it. Well, Johnny Quest actually came out, I think, in the 60s. But then they would play it, um, and sometimes they run it after school, and so we just like it was amazing. It was the, he was like a detective. It was this very weird world. Um, he was a kid who was out there solving weird crimes, and uh, it was it was I loved it. And there was also Super Friends. I loved watching Super Friends. Yeah, uh, you would have had Inspector Gadget, right, Don Adams. Yeah, we had – yeah, we did have Inspector Gadget. I remember clearly for us, we had uh, – there was sort of – on back when I was a kid, we had two whole channels. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ABC, which is the government-funded, uh, you know, not really public access. It was just this is the government have decided we think TV is a good idea, so we're going to do that, and then some commercial channel. And from about 3 o'clock in the afternoon after school up until about 6, there was – different and various cartoons and it, it you know swapped between uh inspector gadget um g-force which was a, a japanese sort of manga cartoon that had been cut up they had kept the main action and revoiced it with american voices but then put this weird robot in at the top and tail so that it had like a moral um yeah crazy america they americanized this cartoon uh and then saturday morning cartoons were of course a religion uh, where we saw all of the Scooby-Doo's and the wacky races and all of those sorts of things. Um, and I just remember falling over myself laughing, uh, over myself laughing at uh, just the, the Roadrunner shorts. And oh, the yeah. Stuff. All that stuff killed me. That's what I forgot. Yeah, Bugs Bunny, Roadrunner. Those, yeah. That was the that and Scooby-Doo were the ones I really loved. So good. How, how do you – I mean, given that you're a person who uh, has a real interest in film, and those kinds of things. Do you think that TV helped shape some of that love? Was it a bit of a window into that film world for you? For sure. I mean, there was watching these shows like Six Million Dollar Man and uh, stuff like that. I remember watching reruns of Twilight Zone. And then mm. my parents would also take us to the to the movies. So then it was to me, it was just like, oh, TV on a giant screen. And it was longer. And, you know, when I first started going to the movies, it was like, 
it was it was just so cool. I remember going to Star Wars in the theater when I was a kid, mm. and how that just was like changed me and all the kids in my neighborhood's life. <laughs> and, <laughs> yes, and then when like the Superman movie came out, when the Muppet movie came out, it was all just like no way. Um, these things oh, that we had yes. sort of watched on TV were now on this giant screen. So it, it, it definitely influenced my love of film for sure. The Muppet Show, you just, yeah, I'm now having flashbacks to all these amazing episodes of this crazy stuff happening with Muppets and real humans on a stage. Yeah. So weird. What is your favorite TV show of all time? Well, it's probably a toss up between Hawaii Five O and The Twilight Zone because they both shaped me in so many ways i love 70s cop shows love them um jack lord's depiction of steve mcgarrett in the fictionalized 5-0 which was this basically rogue branch of the police department <laughs> that answered to no one um except maybe directly to the governor and mcgarrett would be yelling at the governor just like there's no way this would happen um I love that. And then it was the it was the Twilight Zone because this Rod Serling was and I didn't know it at the time watching, but as I got older and like read books about him and saw interviews and stuff, he was a genius because he had he had fought hard. He did a lot of live television in America, Playhouse 90, mm. um, and were basically taking the the New York theater and putting it on live TV in the early days of television. And the early days of television when they're getting sponsors and stuff like that. And he got a lot of resistance. You know, he was always trying to do really creative stuff with social commentary and political commentary and would get a lot of resistance um, from sponsors and stuff like that. So he created – there's a great interview with him and Mike Wallace and they're talking about – he's like Mike Wallace. They're, they're both on TV smoking, just chain-smoking <laughs> cigarettes, um, just Brill Cream and, and smokes. uh litter the air and mike wallace is like so you've got this new show called twilight zone are you done fighting city hall and rod Serling goes yep i don't want to fight i'm not i don't want nothing it's just fun science fiction it's really cool which is so hilarious because what rod serling did was go all right you, you you're gonna fight me on these issues well then i'm gonna just dress them up with aliens but still put them on there and hmm. the twilight zone has so many issues about racism and and uh anti-war sentiments because he fought in world war ii and saw war up close you know he was in the pacific theater he was like <laughs> brutal war yeah. brutal brutal jungle warfare and so he um he was like okay i'm gonna have all these anti-war themes and and really really critical of anybody that's greedy or petty or anything and it just it so shaped me just the way he wrote these stories and the way he was all hands-on and the way he sort of put these serious topics and serious issues, sort of, you know, dress them up in a funny outfit or, you know, cute or mm. interesting, or it's just science fiction, but it was really heavy themes and they resonated with me as a young kid pretty early on and have stayed with me ever since. Because we were, uh, you know, it, for some reason, any television that came out of America during the 60s and 70s, unless it was, you know, a big world-ending event or something that was super important, it basically the cans, the film cans got put on a ship. And so we got it that much later. 
Uh, and for some reason, I think the Twilight Zone, I missed that because it was on later at night because they felt that it wasn't appropriate for children. And we also had only two channels. There was only so much TV we could have on. Um, so we were limited. But I do resonate with the Hawaii Five-O thing and that whole 70s cop uh, buddy genre because I got fully into – I love the bit of Hawaii Five-O that I saw. I fully got into Starsky and Hutch. Oh, yeah. And Chips. Uh huh. My brother was and great. I would get on our bikes and ride around the neighborhood forever, pretending that we were John and Ponch. Yeah, and you'd 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 slap five the way they did in the opening credits. You'd ride your bikes next to each other and try to five each other, and have accidents because of it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, brutal. So much fun. Oh, it, amazing! And it is that real as a kid escapism into this world that you look back now and watch and go, "Yeah, I'm pretty sure that they weren't just allowed to ride their bikes around the highway all the time." <laughs> They had to do other stuff. I remember in college, I went to college at the University of Arizona in Tucson, Arizona, and came to Los Angeles to visit one weekend for the first time. And when I saw uh, the California Highway Patrol motorcycle for the first <clears> time and, and black and white squad car, I was like, no way, that's chips. Like I was like, I lost it. <laughs> but that's that's the cool stuff, isn't it? Right. It doesn't matter what age you are. It's when you see some of that stuff that you've only ever seen in a TV or a film context come to life. Mm -hmm. uh, so what do you like to watch now, Graham? What, how do you watch now? Well, um, I do a lot of binge watching on Netflix. Um, I love Mad <laughs> I love Mad Men. Um, you know, I loved Breaking Bad when it came out. I just finished watching season three of House of Cards. Uh, Orange is the New Black I really like. Justified is a show – I really, is it? I really like that show. Um, I really, I just have always been drawn to sort of the hour-long drama. Mm. Um, maybe because I'm too critical of the comedies, I don't watch as many of them. Come on, now you can't tell me that uh, Two Broke Girls isn't one of the finest things to come out of America today. <laughs> oh God, it's like uh, it's appalling. Oh, and I, I know people write on the show and they're funny people, man. And I just watch and I go, God, I know that was a good joke when they wrote it. <laughs> I know it. And it just went through some network filter and came out that. And I'm just like, oh, man, God bless them. They got job, man. Go for it. I wouldn't say no to that gig. Yeah, yeah, get paid. But man, it's funny when you watch the, the three camera studio audience sitcom to me looks like such a dinosaur after we've seen like 30 rock yes which is like one of the most brilliant shows on that's it's so funny and there's so many jokes in there and they're so smart and so clever mm. and when they're silly they're they're silly for the right reasons and then you watch these like two broke girls type shows and the jokes it's just like bump 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 bing yeah. bump bing bump joke Guess what? Here comes the joke. Get ready, everybody. Joke like it's so. <laughs> it's just like wow. How do you, how do you do that? Like how do they keep making those shows? But uh, part of it, I think, is the Nielsen system in the states is so mm. archaic, um, and they just you have this box that's. Uh, representative 500 families in your demographic and you know when when tv was first you know beamed through the air on an antenna this is the only way you could monitor it 
but now it's such an industry standard and everybody knows the advertisers, the network and Nielsen, they all know it's not really that effective anymore, but they just can't sit, walk away from it because it's, yeah. it's determined. It's so much money's involved. And no one's got a better option to offer up yet. Well, you know what they've done? Yeah, they do. In the sense, they just circumvented it. Like Netflix just went, ah, I don't give a shit about your Nielsen system. So we're doing this. We're going to just do this. And they don't have to release their subscriber numbers and all these, you know, online shows. It's just like, are it's very clear. Do we get a lot of clicks? Does House of Cards help? Does it get a, does it generate a lot of clicks? If it's generating a lot of clicks, then we know it's generating subscription sales. You know, like I'm sure that like Lily Hammer or whatever didn't do it, didn't move the needle. So they went, nope. And they have pretty, I would pretty accurate data to tell them what works and what doesn't versus the Nielsen system, which is like, well, yeah. if, if, I mean, what only old people are sitting and watching a show Thursday at eight o'clock and watching the advertisements. I mean, that's. Old people and about 3 million people in Australia. Yeah, exactly. It's like everyone else has a DVR and everyone else is either watching it on Hulu or Netflix or whatever here in the States. And so um, that's going to have to change. I don't know what they're going to do with that. But those, if you look at the top Nielsen rated shows in America, it shows that have demographics that I guarantee you skew older. Yeah. And no question. We're seeing... The same thing happened in Australia where younger audiences have fallen away from your free-to-air linear broadcast television and and are finding the content elsewhere, whether it's legitimately on catch-up services provided by the networks or the magical world of somehow they get to Netflix, though now it's, you know, about to become a real tangible uh, thing in Australia. All of that is becoming a serious concern. And so that's why these other subscription video services in Australia, one of them is partnered with one of the major networks and one of them is partnered with one of the other major networks. So they've, they're throwing their fingers in the pie that way to try and maintain relevance. Um, you know, the only thing that's keeping people interested uh, in free-to-air television at the moment is um, news and live sport. And live sport in Australia is very shortly due to go the way that it has in America and make it a la carte, exactly the way you spoke about earlier. Yeah, it's true. It's the same thing here. The uh, award shows, news, and live sports are the only thing that people are still watching actual ads for. But even then, like like we just said, it's every league is just has there's so much money for every league to make by just going, hey, for whatever, seven bucks a month, ten bucks a month, you can see every game, every post game wrap up, every mm. preview. And if, if you're a junkie of that sport, why not? Yeah, yeah. and you love it, right? It's yeah. crazy, crazy business. As an aside, well, and I say this as the country that thinks that the Big Bang Theory is the funniest and hottest thing in the world. Um, <laughs> it's not alone. Oh, your man, your country is not alone. <laughs> I don't understand it. It's series the highest rating sitcom in Australia by a long shot. Oh, the other thing I forgot to say that's keeping free-to-air networks alive in Australia is reality television. But we do it differently to you, Graham, whereas – America, you know, Thursday night is American Idol or Friday night's American Idol night. Mm-hmm. In Australia, we get it stripped four or five or six nights a week. Wow. For, for 60 to 90 minutes at a time. Jesus. Oh, man. And, and we've just come off the back where the three main commercial networks, effectively the equivalent of your CBS, ABC, and NBC, all had reality programs running 7.30 
which is like the, the main primetime after news and stuff. Seven thirty ninety minute programs on all three channels, all of it reality. It's a funny that's that's one of the one of the stopgap measures the networks are using to prevent the DVR is shows like that where it's like you know vote lot you have to vote live now. Yeah, yep, you got to vote live. You can't be a part of the conversation the next day if you haven't seen it. Uh, it's it's crazy, man. I just wanted to ask quickly back to the, the question where you said you like binge watching and, and some of the great programs you mentioned, your Mad Men's, which I can't wait to see the last few episodes, which start shortly. That's going to be incredible. Um, you know, Breaking Bad's all of that sort of stuff. Do you think that the binge watching, given that, you know, like your, your Breaking Bad's, even your House of Cards, stuff that has been made for people to binge watch, do you think that um, that's changed the writing process in how they approach that content. It doesn't have to be, we can wrap it up in 50 minutes and here's a cliffhanger next episode. Now they can write across two or three episodes with, um, uh, you know, plot points and, and drama and angles and those things. There, can't they? I think that's a great point. And I think you're why these shows are then accelerating so much in terms of interest is because of that, because they don't mm. have to go, commercial break at at minute 22 and minute whatever and and they don't have to do cliffhanger tune in next week um i think you're right i think they are writing like let's write these really compelling character arcs and story things over 12 or 13 episodes or however many they want to do they also aren't constrained by the you know an hour-long tv show has to come in at whatever it is, 47 minutes and 30 seconds or whatever they, you know, look at, look at house of cards. One, one week yeah. it's 52 minutes, one week it's 58. Like, so they're, 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 there's so much more latitude to really develop stuff correctly and develop character correctly that you do. It is why it is so compelling. It's why you, you, you can't wait to watch it again. Spoiler alert for the people who have only just signed up to Netflix in Australia. I'm going to ask Graham a question about season three of House of Cards, so you might want to skip forward the next two minutes. Graham, I've seen season three like you. Um, I assume you've also seen the first two seasons based on that. Yes. How did you feel this third season has gone, given that both season one, season two really had big bang finishes? We saw Frank Underwood get, achieve, do stuff. Mm -hmm. And now the curve has very seriously turned for him. I was so intrigued by that because I got to be honest with you, when he becomes president at the end of season two, I was like, God, I love this show. I love the dialogue. I love all these actors, but come on, is he really going to be, I mean, <laughs> this guy, it was becoming a little implausible for me. Um, but it yet because Kevin Spacey and everyone, you know, they're so, they're such good actors. Mm. So I came into this season like, I don't know. And I just don't know that I buy him as president, that he could pull this coup off. I just think he, he. But honestly, by the end of it, when it becomes just so brutal and cutthroat and and she finally leaves him, mm. I was like, oh. You saw it a couple episodes prior. You went, she's going to wake up and go, fuck this. I want the White House. Yes. And that's how it ends. And you know, that's what season four is just going to be her just cutting him out at the knees to get the White House because she would eat a puppy to get anywhere. Mm, in a debate on live national television. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. She'd slit its throat and bathe in its blood and just whatever. Like, 
so just to watch these <laughs> heartless evil people now it's going to be fun to watch them eat each other like is he yeah. going to like get that journal back and go well actually my wife lied you know is he going to just like mm. is it just going to be who's going to who, yeah who's going to force the other to either fall on a sword or be pushed onto a sword yeah. For the survival of the other, it's really going to get really brutal, isn't it? Are they both just going to go, well, I have all of your secrets. Well, I have all of yours. <laughs> so mm. it's, it's just, I am. That's just- right. Could there be a truce come out of this where, which is, uh, they were almost living a truce as a marriage, weren't they? It was like, we do what we do to get to where we need to do. We forgive each other our dalliances because the end game is the White House. Yeah. And then they got there and. It's not enough. No. I mean, that scene where he chokes her and is like, I'm the fucking president, you know, it's like, oh, and you thought, okay, she's going to, she's going to line up and do her job. And then the next morning goes, I'm leaving you Mm. like, but it'll be curious to see because he is the master spinner, you know, like, Mm. can he use this to his advantage? Even though everyone is, everyone is jumping ship on him. Yes, everyone. Remy's gone. Remy's gone. The the Jackie left in turncoat for Dunbar. Mm. But then crazy Doug Stampler, who's oh just a rabid wolf. He's evil, trained, vicious. Psychopath. Psychopath. Crazy. And when he left, you know, his object of his fascination on the side of the road and drove off, I thought that's, she's not. That's And then, you know, the next thing we see is him turning the car around and then the next thing we see is the shovel. It's like, yeah, that happened. Ugh, that was just when he left her. I was like, oh, thank God, don't kill her. And then, <laughs> I know. And then he was just like, oh God, you just see him burying her dead bot. Like God. Well, we almost thought we were going to see the redemption of Doug this season, right? Him getting over his his physical ailments and recovering, and him sleeping with his, uh, you know, physio who was then running away to another thing and. It was all, you know, maybe Doug's getting better, going to work for the other lady. Okay, he knows stuff and all that sort of thing. Oh, yeah, fun-loving Uncle Doug to his niece wow. and nephew. <laughs> fun-loving Uncle Doug. He got some secrets. Yeah, he's a de- he's a demon. But you're right. I think it's going to be crazy talk, and it would be just superb to see uh, Frank and his wife in a toe-to-toe standoff. Yeah. Uh, it'll just be stellar. And I think season three was really necessary to progress that and to embed that so that we saw just how self-involved Frank is at being the president and just how left out uh, she is at not being in power. Yeah, and how she ultimately cannot handle it. And she did screw up. She was a bad ambassador. (laughs) She was shithouse. The Russians played her and she can't handle it. So she's like, I'm, you know, she's just, oh God, it's, and all that weird shit with Yates. Oh, I don't even understand it. Yeah. I can't wait to watch them just eat each other like wolves. Yeah, yeah. Who's going to have the biggest secret that trumps everything else of all of the other shit that they've played out on each other? Yeah. The only thing that we know for sure is Francis has killed someone, right? Beyond that. Yeah. Some might suggest that uh, she killed the guy in jail, but she was asleep. Or was she? Right. Who knows? God, it's all crazy talk. Mox TV talk. Look, Grant, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Wonderful uh, look at how television fits for you. And given that you're, you know, like I said, one half of our comedy film knows, what's your favorite film of all time? Oh, man. Uh, I get asked And this. you can only have one. <laughs> Such a tough question. <laughs> I think my go-to is sort of, there's a movie called The Gray Fox with Richard Farnsworth. 
that came out in the early eighties and it is a beautiful piece of cinema and very few people know about it, but I would absolutely check it out. Sure. It's on the list. Yeah. It was shot in like a van, like British Columbia, Mm. Western Canada. It's just gorgeous. Takes place in the late 1800s. He's a, he's a stagecoach robber that has to go to jail for like 30 years. And when he gets out, the industrial revolution has started to happen in the late 1800s. And he's an ex-con and can't work, so he starts holding up trains. Wow. Yeah, and he becomes this like gentle, gentleman bandit, and he falls in love, and it's, 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 it's an amazing film. Wow, that's so cool. Well, I'll definitely have to, to go and suss that out. Graham, for those that aren't for some reason already following you and enjoying your work, how can people track down all that is Graham Elwood? Uh, if you go to GrahamElwood.com, you can get links to – my Facebook page, my uh, Twitter, which is at Graham Elwood. I just opened up a couple months ago at Instagram, which is at Graham Elwood. Uh, of course, you can get uh, Comedy Film Nerds uh, in iTunes, and uh, you can go to ComedyFilmNerds.com. It's a weekly movie podcast, and we've had we've had like Will Anderson on it and a mm-hmm. bunch of other really funny comics. And, and then, you know – if you can make it September 18th through the 20th, the Los Angeles Podcast Festival, this will be our fourth year. Uh, tickets and discounted hotel rooms are available at LAPodfest.com. Hell yes, people, do it. Lock yourself in. And I totally commend to you the Comedy Film Nerds podcast. There's an episode late last year with Rich Summer from Mad Men, yeah. uh, which is really interesting. I really hope he has started his board games podcast. <laughs> wow. He better. He was harassed online like for a, for a month almost. It was such a great revelation. And then to hear him talk about it was like, that totally has to be a podcast. Yeah. Crazy talk. Wow. Well, thank you for joining us this week on Mulks TV Talk, the podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Mulks TV Talk. Find me on Facebook and Instagram at thosethings.com slash Mulks TV Talk. New episodes are out Tuesday, so make sure you subscribe via iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. And please do leave a sweet review. Tune in next week when you'll hear Graham Elwood say... Han shot first. Good night.